Good evening, everybody. I am William Dyer, and this is Dyer Conversations. You are tuning in to part two of my conversation with Marsha Montenegro, former occult practitioner. And, uh, you know, we're going to link part one here in the description below. But we left off last time a little bit on a cliffhanger where we were talking about uh, her coming to faith, right? Like coming to a point where she felt like God or some sort of God was working in her life and then eventually coming to Christ. So we want to pick up right there. And without further ado, Marsha, thanks for joining me again. Hi, Billy. Thanks for having me on for part two. And um, it's good to be back and, and finish up what happened. Uh, yes, so I had been talking about, I think, how the Lord um, started drawing me to Christ. Now, at the time, I was not aware of what was happening. I mean, I was not aware of exactly what it all meant. I just was having these experiences <clears throat> that I didn't understand, which started off with a compulsion to go to a church. And that happened in the spring. Um, and I actually was still serving as president of the Astrological Society when that happened. And I didn't understand why I had this compulsion and I didn't want to go to a church. So see, that's the thing. I didn't want to go. So I was very aware of this compulsion, kind of like, I say, I don't say desire because I didn't have the desire to go. So it was a compulsion, it's the best word I know, that I should, it was sort of like I should go. It was kind of like this feeling I should be going to a church. Were you fighting, not, not were you fighting for, yourself? Well, well, I didn't feel I was fighting myself because I didn't feel this compulsion was for me. It was very external to me. And um, it wasn't a moral thing either. It wasn't like, oh, you should go to church. You know, you haven't been going to church. It's a bad. There was no, there was nothing connected with it that made it seem good or bad. It was just this compulsion that I should go, but I didn't want to go. So I just resisted it. And it went on for, you know, through the summer. <clears throat> and even during that time in August, I went to a new age conference in Oregon and I, spoke there and um there were some unusual things that happened there that i'll leave out for the sake of time and i came back to atlanta and i did decide to go into a church and uh i can't remember if i did discuss this last time but i did go into a church and um i i decided this came from a previous life that of course I believed in reincarnation, that I lived many lives. So I believe this came from a previous life, uh, that I had been a Christian in previous lives and there was something left over that I had to resolve. So I went into the church. Um, I sat in the back and um, the service began and my plan was to leave after 15 or 20 minutes, which is one reason I sat in the back. So that was my plan. And I was on the end of the pew so I could leave, you know, without, you know, disrupting anything. So the service started and this, um, these people uh, came down marching from the back and this, they were led by a young boy carrying a cross. And as he uh, came by me, I felt this overwhelming what I call a waterfall of love falling on me and through me. And I knew this was from a personal God, which I did not believe in. So, you know, there you have me not believing in a personal God, but knowing that this feeling of love is from a personal God. <laughs> so I couldn't reconcile those two things and I didn't try to. I, I really was at sea as to what was going on. I really did not understand, but this was so powerful that I decided to come back the next Sunday and see that had not been my original plan. My original plan was to go there for 15 or 20 minutes. And then I thought I might have some kind of insight from a previous life and maybe I wouldn't. And then I would just leave and that would be the end of it. So I went back to the church and I continued going back. And then I started getting an impression that God didn't like astrology. Now, I wasn't hearing this from anyone at the church, which was a very, very open-minded Episcopal church. 
So I wasn't getting that. I did tell some people I was an astrologer. Uh, nobody gave a negative reaction to it. And a few people were very interested. Uh, so <laughs> uh, if anything, I got positive feedback. And um, as the time went by, I got an impression, and that's the word that I would use for this, that this God wanted me to give astrology up. And I couldn't understand that because I felt sure that I was helping people. And people had told me I helped them. So I thought, why would God want me to give up doing something that helps people? You know, that didn't make sense to me. Like I'm helping people. Why is that? A, how is that a bad thing? So I resisted that, of course. Um, and I was continuing to resist it for several weeks. I would say that that started, um, I went to the church on Labor Day weekend. I would say this impression, God didn't like astrology, began very soon after that, maybe, you know, a couple of weeks or so. And then this impression that God wanted me to give it up came more along, um, uh, maybe, so, so now maybe the end of October, early November. Uh, and then it, it got really strong there in November. Thanksgiving came along. And that's where, where I think I may have left off last time. So on Thanksgiving, the day before Thanksgiving, no, I'm sorry, Thanksgiving itself, I had been invited to a Thanksgiving dinner by my chiropractor who was a witch. And actually, I had gone to some gatherings of, of practicing witches and Wiccans and neo-pagans before this because I, I had many who were clients. And my chiropractor had um, invited me to some things so like a retreat. I had actually gone on a retreat with my husband at the time and my son. And we had gone to the mountains of North Georgia uh, where these neo-pagan Wiccan witches had a retreat and I, I participated and I, I was not Wiccan or neo-pagan, but being an astrologer and having many of them as clients, I was sort of like an honorary, you know, member. I guess they never said that, but I was sort of treated that way. And I was invited to these gatherings. I was not invited on a regular basis to these things. Let me just say that. Um, I went to a few, but I was not a regular participant because so, I was not part of that that group. So it's not like it's not like they could just invite their friends and like anybody could come and watch. Oh no, oh no, 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 no. I was the only as far as I know, I was the only non Wiccan, non witch at and my and my husband and son, we were the only non, you know, Wiccans, the non-neo, I'll use neo-pagan as the overall term. We were the only non-neo-pagans there. Um, everybody else was, was in some form, they didn't really use terms for themselves. Um, although I think my chiropractor did use the term witch, but they didn't always use that term. Um, you know, but that was what, that's what they were. They were part of this whole uh, neo-pagan Wiccan movement that came over to this country in 1963 uh, and started in England with Gerald Gardner around 1950 or the late 40s. And that was the start of the modern Wiccan movement. And it came to this country in 1963 and started, uh, and then it really, you know, increased. And so by the 1980s, you had quite a few people. I knew five different witchcraft groups in Atlanta when I was an astrologer. Mm. I, I had clients in all five groups. And so I was kind of familiar with that community, uh, although I was not a part of it, you know, in the sense of belonging to it. Now, I had been invited to join by my chiropractor before this Thanksgiving, uh, when I went to see her, she asked me to consider, well, what she asked me was, was to consider being a, an astrologer for her, her coven. So I don't know if that was an official invitation to actually be initiated into Wicca or witchcraft 
or if she just wanted me there as kind of an astrologer. Because when she asked me if I wanted to do that, I was lying on the the table, the chiropractic table, <laughs> and I had already been experiencing, I had been to the church and I had been experiencing this um, this this impression that God didn't like astrology. And this, this was probably around mid-October when this happened. And so this is before Thanksgiving. So I'm going back to this because it, it just kind of came up the way I was talking. And when she asked me if I would consider that joining her coven, I felt this tremendous weight on my chest <clears throat> and this um, discomfort. And kind of uh, my reaction, I didn't show this visibly, but my reaction was, oh, no way, no way. I could never, never, never do that. So I think that's because of, you know, where the Lord had me at that, at that point in time. Uh, spiritually speaking, I think he was breaking down these barriers I had that came from my new age and astrology stuff. And so there was this very strong resistance in me. And so I said to her very, you know, in this very calm kind of nonchalant voice, because <laughs> I was trying to be very calm. I said, uh, oh, well, thank you so much. Um, but I really don't think that's my spiritual path. Hmm. And just kind of left it. And she said, okay, well, she said, you can keep thinking about it or something like that. And that was kind of the end of that. So I had a very bizarre, what I would think would, was a bizarre reaction because normally I, even if I hadn't wanted to do it, I would not have had that reaction. Um, I wouldn't have had such a strong resistance. So that happened around mid-October. So now we're on Thanksgiving and my chiropractor had invited me to her her home and she had all these other people who were part of that group, that neo-pagan group. So they were all witches and Wiccans. I knew several of them. Some of them I didn't know. And um, one of the things I noticed um, when I first went there, I told her right away, I said, I am taking a break from astrology. So I don't want to talk about astrology. And she was very surprised and she said, oh, okay. Cause she recommended me to a lot of, that's how I got a lot of these people as clients is because she would tell her clients about me and give them my business card. She had a regular, um, you know, stockpile of my business cards to give to her clients because <laughs> she asked me for them. So she was always recommending me. So she seemed very surprised and she said, well, okay. So, you know, we won't talk about it. Well, while I was there, you know, we were eating and people were talking. I had this very, very strange um, experience of I was looking at the people around me and I felt like they were all dead. It was hmm. it was really bizarre. It was I've never had that experience before that. And I've never had that experience since then. Can you Not can dead, you like physically not like they yeah. were physically dead but like they were like they were dead people who were they were acting like they were alive but they were really dead so what like not that you were picturing them that way not that you said right. like they were physically dead no like, was this just a sensation or like what like what it does was that an impression mean? that i got by when i looked at them okay and i read because i remember thinking in my head why does it seem like all these people are dead hmm um, and like I say that I'd never had that thought before, um, any, any time, anywhere. And <laughs> I haven't had it since. Um, and it was, it was a very strong, it was very strong, you know, like it really, I sat there and looked around for a while at everybody because, you know, I thought at first I was imagining it and I thought, why am I thinking that? So I kept kind of waiting for it to go away, but it didn't, it didn't really go away. And I thought, why is it that everybody seems dead? Now, you know, looking back on that later, after I became a Christian and thought about it and, you know, and I don't mean right away after I became a Christian, probably a few years after I became a Christian, I think that 
I think that what that was is that they were spiritually dead. And God was letting me see that, even though I didn't totally understand it. That's the only thing I can come up with for that experience. Um, so that was a very odd thing. And then I wanted to leave early. And um, <clears throat> this is kind of a strange experience. I don't get to talk about this very much. I think maybe I've only discussed this perhaps one other time in an interview. Um, what do you tell? Okay, I'll tell it. Um, well, what they did, what they, they had, um, the, my chiropractor and her partner, who was a woman, um, had gotten this, um, like a jacuzzi or what, what are they called? You know, they're like a hot tub, a hot tub that you mm -hmm. get in and it's, the water moves around and kind of, you know, makes you feel relaxed and everything. Well, they had just gotten one and they had it out on their porch. And as a special treat for everybody, everybody was going to get a turn in it. And um, the way they did it, for, I think four would go in at a time. And so they had numbers. And when, you know, we first got there, we picked a number. And then they told us afterwards what the number was for. So you would go in according to the number that you picked. And I had picked a very low number. I was like number three or something. So I was like in the first first group and and this of course this true to the way they did things you go in naked because you know i had done some sweat lodges with them uh, with them and, and and another group and you go you go into that naked um everybody's takes their clothes off that was just what you did so i did not want to do this i didn't want to to do it at all and i was panicking because i had a low number so i I went up to some random person there, I didn't know, some guy, and I said, um, I said, do you want to trade numbers with me because um, I have a really low number and I'm, I don't really want to be first or something. I, I forgot what I told him. I told him something, but he was happy. I don't think he cared what my reason was because he had like one of the last numbers. <laughs> you know, he was like 22 or something. And so he said, oh, yeah, yeah. So he gave me his number and he took my number. <laughs> Yeah, he was ready to party. <laughs> so, you know, nobody was getting, I want to point out, nobody's getting wild. Um, I don't even remember. There was probably wine, but nobody was like, it was not, these, this is not like an orgy or a party. This is all very, very, uh, or at least at this point, you know, it's just very kind of, I don't know, calm. Everybody's calm. Most people are talking about stuff. You know, they're a very talkative group. Um and so uh, I was not talking a lot because I felt so, um, I just felt like I didn't belong there. I felt very uncomfortable. So I decided to leave and nobody had left at that point. It was still kind of early. And so I, I can't remember what I said. I may just just said that I was tired or something. I don't know what I said. So I went out the door and the door I had to go out to get to my car on the street was through their garage. And there was a, one of the guys was standing in the garage. Now I had met him before. He was this very, very tall guy. Um, I think, as I recall, he like trained Falcons or something like that. And I think he lived somewhere. I think he lived out of town, but I had met him before. So I kind of knew him and he was standing in the garage cause he was smoking. And I came out and he said, oh, are you leaving? And I said, yes. And he said, why, why are you leaving? And I said, well, I said, I'm just, you know, ready to go. And he was like kind of the way he was talking to me was very kind of belligerent. I mean, it was it was sort of hostile. He said, he said, well, why, why are you leaving so early? And I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm just ready to go. You know, I'm tired or something like that and he said well did you do the hot tub and i said no and he's like why not and i i was like well i just i'm just not i just not up for it you know i'm just it was so bizarre but i felt like this guy was trying to keep me from leaving i felt like something was trying to keep me i mean i actually felt 
like it wasn't just him. I actually felt like there was something there that was trying to prevent me from leaving. And I started feeling very desperate. <clears throat> like I, I thought he was maybe physically going to stop me from going. That's what I thought. It seemed ridiculous, but it was so bizarre. And I just thought, I have got to get to my car. I've got to get to my car. So I, I forgot what I said, but I just started walking away from him. And I walked to my car and I got in my car <laughs> and I had to turn around because it was a dead end street. My car was facing the dead end. <laughs> so I had to go to the end of the street and turn around. I thought, oh my gosh, I've got to get out of here. <clears throat> and I just drove away. I was just, I felt so relieved when I drove away. I was just, it was like this big, oh, I got away, you know? <clears throat> so that was a very, very bizarre experience. <clears throat> and um yeah i mean from my perspective you know being a christian for as long as i have i'm sitting here listening to you just seeing right through the spiritual warfare of what's happened at this point in your life and yeah. you know the yeah. overall like as god's trying to like break into your life you have these you know the satanic influences are wanting to like no 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 rope her back in by this opportunity yes. and by that opportunity and then you go to this yeah. party and it's like no, like keep her here, like make her yeah. do the things that are going to make her bound to us. Right. So it's, it's crazy to hear you talk about that. But so you, yeah. get, out, so you get out of the cul-de-sac, right? Nobody chases yeah, you down. And I, know, and I had a few more experiences that I did that I skipped over, but that was probably one of the more, you know, those two things, seeing everybody is dead. And then that guy tr seemingly trying to keep me from going. Um, so yeah, I got, I got away. Yeah, I left. <laughs> Now, I had made the decision. Oh, and I completely left this out. I'm sorry. The night before Thanksgiving, I had gone to see the rector of the parish because I told him about this impression I had that God wanted me to give astrology up. And I can't remember if I talked about that in the previous program, but he got out the Bible and he started reading these passages from the Old Testament to me about uh, divination and he told me well they would sometimes read the liver of animals and I was sitting there thinking why is he telling me all this stuff you know I don't understand <laughs> and he just kind of kept talking like that but it sort of sunk in that this was somehow connected to astrology and that apparently you know astrology was in that category and so he was confirming this impression I had been getting that God wanted me to give it up. He was confirming it without saying that, you know, directly. And so I said to him, I guess I have to give astrology up. So I actually made that decision the night before. And then I went to the Thanksgiving thing the next day where all of that happened. Hmm. So now I've decided to give astrology up and I, I didn't take any more clients. I had three more clients. I'd already scheduled to do their charts in early December and I did their charts and I think the last one was like December 7th or something and then I thought you know I guess um, if I'm not doing astrology I should be reading the Bible now I was working in an office part-time secretly doing astrology on the employees because the head of that department was one of my clients and he was also one of my astrology students and he had hired me the year before to do these you know to like give him advice based on the the, the birth dates of the people there and so i was working there and he was away he had taken this six or eight week leave of absence starting right before Thanksgiving that went to January. So I couldn't go tell him I can't do the astrology anymore because he wasn't there. And, you know, he had just left busy work for me. So I didn't have to deal with that. I wasn't sure, you know, what was going to happen with that because I would have to tell him that. And um, I didn't know what to do about that. So right now I was not doing astrology and I thought, I guess I'll start reading the Bible because I'm going to church. <laughs> I, 
I don't know. It just seemed to make sense. So <laughs> I started reading um, Matthew because I decided I would read the New Testament because the Old Testament just seemed too, you know, too confusing to me. So I started with Matthew, the first book in the New Testament. I started chapter one, verse one. Okay, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a pretty very organized type person, so I like to do things usually in this organized manner. So I wasn't just going to pick up and start anywhere. So I started Matthew. I started at the beginning. I'm going through it, you know, bit by bit every night. I'm reading a little bit every night, and I'm not totally understanding what it's about, but I'm reading it. And one of the things that I noticed was that the words uh, seemed very pure to me. And that was the only word I could come up with was pure. And I thought, you know, there's something really pure about the words here. I've never had this feeling before when re reading any book, you know, like I've never thought the words were pure <laughs> in any book I ever read before. <laughs> and <clears throat> I just didn't understand why they seemed so pure and so different from other books I had read. And I had read a lot of books because I was a literature major in college and, you know, I was a bookworm. So, I mean, I'd read a lot of books in my life and I had never had this experience of feeling the words were pure. So I just kept reading and reading. And then um, a few days before Christmas, I was reading Matthew chapter eight. So you can see I was going really, really slowly because I was only on chapter eight after maybe, I guess, two over two weeks. And I'm reading the account of Jesus um, on the boat with the disciples and the storm comes up and the disciples get scared and they, you know, wake him up and they tell him they're going to drown. And Jesus, you know, rebukes the sea and the wind and it immediately stops the storm. And he says to the disciples, you know, you have little faith, you know, because they were still like not totally understanding who Jesus was. Now, I didn't get all of that when I was reading it. All I got was Jesus stopped the storm. And then he says to the disciples, you have little faith. And there was something about that that just really captivated me. So I kept reading it over and over again. And as I was rereading it, God just opened my eyes. I mean, that was when I saw who Jesus really was. And I saw that I had been on this spiritual path that was completely against God and going away from God. And that I had been, you know, really, and I had been going against God. So I realized that I didn't use, I didn't think the term reconcile was not the term that came to my head, but I just knew, I realized Jesus was a savior, the savior that I needed. And I just turned my life over to Christ because I knew that's what I had to do. I knew that was the only way out of what I was in. And I realized that Jesus had died on the cross, you know, for all the bad things I had done. I don't think the I did not have the, the biblical concept of sin because you don't believe in sin in the new age. So I didn't really understand what sin was. I mean, I knew it was bad, um, but I didn't, you know, this is why I tell people when they're evangelizing new agers and other people, they don't, they may not understand the concept of sin. So you have to explain that we're all born with a desire to do our own will, not to do God's will. And so we're, we're separated from God because of that. And the only way to heal that separation and be reconciled is to recognize that you have been going against God, that you have been putting your will above God's will. You haven't been recognizing God for who he is. You haven't recognized Jesus for who he is. And therefore you're separated from God. And the only way to end that is to trust Christ and then your sins are forgiven. You know, at that point, I might use the word sins, but, you know, I think I'm afraid that sometimes Christians think that unbelievers have to think in Christian terms to be saved. Speaking of that Christianese. Yeah, and you and you don't because they don't, they don't all have those concepts. If they were raised in a church and had, 
maybe a strong church background, they might kind of, you know, they might relate to those terms. And I had gone to church when I was younger and I had heard some of this stuff, but it never made any sense to me. And as a new ager, I'd been in the new age for over 20 years. Um, those I had redefined all those words. So, you know, to me, there was no such sin was not being true to yourself. That's what sin was for me. As so, a new age. so as you're reading Matthew 14 that night, you're saying that kind of like Matthew chapter eight. Matthew oh, Matthew. Eight. I don't know why I said 14. Matthew chapter eight. You kind of you kind of had that a, a, epiphany. And then yeah. you, you're saying that's when you were like, OK, Jesus, you're mine now. Like, I want to I want to follow you. I don't want to do my own thing anymore. Is that? Yes. Yeah. That's, I didn't say it in those words, but uh, you know, that I don't even know that I really had the, the words for it. I just knew that I had to give my life over to Christ. I just knew I had to belong to Christ maybe is the best way that I understood it at the time. You just knew you wanted uh, him and you didn't want to do your own thing anymore. Right. I, yeah. All of that other stuff I knew I, I had, had to go. I was I, I, actually at that moment, I was letting it go. I was like, I'm not having anything to do with that. So at that moment, when, when that happened, then I realized, I realized I was, I was a, a different person. That's the thing is I, I knew I was different. I mean, I was still me, but I was different, a different me. I knew that that old self had gone, although I didn't use the term old self. I knew that that was the, the old Marsha was gone. And I knew I was a new person. Now, so that I, I know that was the moment I was born again. It's very vivid in my mind. I and I also want to say, um, so some people listening to this, because I realize that some people are saved, but they don't know the moment they were saved. Um, I have talked to many people and heard many testimonies of people who are definitely saved. They know they're saved. You know, they know Christ. They know they've trusted Christ, but they can't say exactly when. And I think that's okay. We don't have to know the moment. Um, but I, I'm happen to be one of the people that does know the moment. So I just don't want everyone to think that they have to know the moment or maybe unbelievers who are listening, you know, that they think they have to have an experience like this. God works with everybody in his own way that he deems best for that person. And so people are saved in different experiences, different ways, you know, through diff some people are saved listening to a sermon. Some people are saved when someone witnesses to them. Some people are saved reading a track. Some people are saved reading the Bible. You know, a God, God has his own way of reaching people and he does it according to his terms. So that was how, that's what he did for me. He did it that way. Now, the after story of this is that my boss came back and I told him I could no longer do the astrology. He was very nice. He let me stay on and he just gave me like kind of busy office type work. Um, and in that office, there was a young Christian man who had befriended me. Um, he was very, very nice. Uh, and he would often ask me what my opinion was on things. Uh, he never he never came to me and said astrology's wrong. He knew I was an astrologer. He never tried to quote unquote witness to me, but I'll tell you what was going on. He was doing something. And, and the way I found out is that he came into my office one day um, and it was because of a work thing. And I had told him, I had gone in January and told him I'd become a Christian because I thought he would want to know. And I don't remember what he said at the time. Um, I just don't remember. He didn't say much. So now it's April and he comes into my office and I said, you know, it's really strange to me that a few months ago I was an astrologer and now I'm a Christian. And I said, you know, I didn't even really want to, I didn't want to be a Christian. <laughs> and he, he smiled and he said, well, maybe somebody was praying for you. And I said, I was sitting there going, you know, like, you know, really, honestly, I can't believe I, I did this. And I was like, I don't know anybody who would pray for me. <laughs> and and I'm looking at him and he has this little grin on his face. And I said, oh, and then it kind of hits me. I said, oh, wait a minute, Jeff, were you praying for me? 
And he said, well, he said, yes. Uh, he said, my young adult group at my church was praying for you. He said, we prayed for you every time we met every other Tuesday night. They started praying for me from the minute he found out I was an astrologer, which was early on when I started working there. So they had been praying for me the whole previous year when all of that stuff was going on, when I had the compulsion to go to church. You know, when I went to the church, when I had the impression God didn't like astrology and then God wanted me to give it up. And they all that time they were praying for me, which, of course, I didn't know until April of the following year. So I become a Christian before Christmas. Now it's April. Now I find out they've been praying for me. So that really just really when he told me that that was just overwhelming. I, I was like, wow, you know, they were first of all, I was so like happy to know somebody had been praying for me. <laughs> um, it was it, now if he had told me at the time before I was saved, I, I would have been probably angry. Oh, I would for have sure, like, yeah. You know, I would have been like, why are you praying? Why do I don't need prayer, you know? But I was just so, it was just such a stunning thing to hear. And um, I ended up actually going to that group and talking and giving my testimony to them. So I actually met some of them uh, later on. And I ended up um, having to leave that job because there was a recession and um, they were having to, I didn't have, I was actually employed as an outside contractor so I wasn't part of the system. And so they had to let go of a lot of those people for because of budgetary cuts. And I wanted to, I, it was, and, and plus my boss was transferred to another department. So I really had to go anyway. And I ended up leaving Atlanta and coming up to, uh, my son and I came up to the Washington DC area where my parents lived at the isn't time. It, isn't it crazy when you think about the providence of God, like you can see it yes. now from this perspective. But before you had no idea and God put you into this job where God brought you in to do astrology and God said, yeah, watch this. I'm going to put her next to this Christian. He, prays, yes. he prays for you, right? And he yes. prays for you. And then that's when God starts to intervene in your life. So, I mean, first of all, I just want to say like to anybody who's out there listening, don't ever underestimate the power of prayer for people who are, you know, even yes. unbelievers. Like you yes. said, he didn't do any outright evangelism to you. Right. Him and his group were praying for you. So we like to say on behalf of everybody here, Jeff, thank you very much for your due diligence as a Christian and praying yes. because now we have this, you know, awesome woman of God who's, who's fighting a good fight. So Man, praise God for that. But okay. Oh, so and, you and there's even a, another piece of the story you'll really like. When my boss, the the New Age client of mine, who what by the way, he and his wife were members of a Methodist church. <laughs> uh, when he um, asked me to to work part time, he said he told me he said, you know, when I got this job, I knew there were three people I had to have here. He said one was this woman who eventually like became his assistant that he knew from somewhere. He said the second person is this Jeff guy that he knew in the department where he had worked before he was transferred from. And he said, I, I have to have that guy because he's really good and he's on top of it and he does like budget accounting stuff or whatever. And he said, I've, I had to have him and I had to have you. He said, I had to have you. Now, isn't that interesting that he felt he had to hire Jeff and he got Jeff from an, who was already working in another department, got him to come over to this department. And Jeff is the guy who prayed for me. Now, how and that talk about God arranging things, how God arranged that to me. I just when I think about that today, I am still like wow you know it's like a it's like a real wow moment that the way god did that because i will never forget my boss telling me that saying these are the three people i have to have here and two of them were me and this guy jeff so i won't give his last name because i don't know if he wants me to do that but i i still know his last name and i'm not in touch with him anymore or anything but um i think that this uh, story shows that you, like you said, you can't ever give up. If you feel led to pray for somebody, 
no matter what it looks like, even if it just looks like a hopeless case, <laughs> which I'm sure I looked like I was a hopeless case, I am sure. Um, and I would have thought I was a hopeless case. Uh, it doesn't matter because, of course, there are no hopeless cases with the Lord. So even if the person is resistant, you can't witness to them, they don't want to come to church, they seem hostile, and you feel you really want that person saved or feel led to pray for that person, just keep praying for them because you cannot tell what God is doing behind the scenes. You just have no idea. Jeff did not know. Jeff and his group did not know all that was going on with me. They didn't know about all that stuff happening, you know, that happened there that was drawing me to the church and, you know, giving astrology up. I mean, they had no idea. They were just faithfully praying. So you never know. You just don't know. And um, I think it's an encouragement for Christians to pray for people. I really do. And it also shows that God can reach anybody, you know, anyone who's, I mean, I was really very hardened new ager. I was really deep into it, had been in it for a long time. And I was very hostile to Christianity. I was, I was hostile to it. It wasn't that I just rejected it. I was hostile to it. I was hostile to Christians. I, I thought they were narrow-minded, self-righteous, judgmental, you know, goody goodies. That was my view of Christians. Unevolved. They were less evolved than me. You know, I had a very condescending view of Christians. And uh, so I certainly did not look like a good candidate for Christianity. <laughs> um, and, you know, a lot of people don't and God saves them. So, well, you know, we, I don't want to get too much into it, like theological stuff, but it just makes me think about you know, when you have these debates like Calvinism versus Arminianism, you, you get people who swing too far one way or the other. And, you know, one of the, um, I'm not a Calvinist, I'll just throw that out there now, but one of the problems with the Arminian side, and I wouldn't even count myself as a full Arminian, one of the problems with that side is they forget and discount, I think, on occasions how much God actually is at work in what I call bringing people into the listening range, right? Yeah. Like, it, it's not yeah. just that hey, God's there, and then you preach the gospel, and then, you know, they respond and they're saved. But even before you're preaching the gospel, even before you are even know who that person is, God's chasing them down and doing stuff in their life, getting them to the point where they not only are hearing the word of God, but they are going to be receptive to the word of God. Receptive. You yeah, know? they have to, the person has to be receptive. And I was not, I really feel that, all that time ahead of beforehand, you know, God was breaking down those those barriers in me because that's the way God wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. If he had wanted to break down the barriers in four weeks, he would have done it that way. But he did it over a period of, you know, starting like in April until I wasn't saved till December. So, you know, there's a long time there, several months. And it's this ongoing process. And for whatever reason, that was the timing God wanted to use. That was what he wanted to do. You know, I can speculate as to why, but, you know, only God really knows the answer to that. So I'm just grateful. You know, it, uh, it shows God's mercy, too. <clears throat> you know, that he would save somebody who was so hostile to, to Christianity, so hostile to the Bible. Um who didn't want to be a Christian, you know, who was very sure of her own beliefs and that she was spiritual and on the spiritual path and had advanced, you know, to a certain point where I felt like, you know, I felt like I, I, I had many more lives before I could reach any kind of true point of enlightenment. But I felt that I had gone pretty far, you know, so there was a lot of spiritual pride there. And, you know, some, and, and if I were God looking down on me as a new age, I would have been like, <laughs> you, well, you know what? I'm just going to let you have what you deserve. <laughs> Why should I save you? You are so prideful and, and you think that you have all the answers and you're not interested in me at all. And you just, so I'm just going to let you go your own way, you know, have fun. Goodbye. Have a good life. I mean, that's how I would have reacted to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So, you know, that God did not do that. Instead, he was merciful. And 
and uh, reached out and drew me to Christ, you know. So, I mean, that's because, I mean, God is merciful. That is, he's merciful. And that's, praise God, um, one of his um, attributes. Amen but you know, so we, we, we can see that, you know, I mean, it's just such a good story of God's mercy, I think. And the fact that I gave astrology up before I was saved also shows the power of God because I would never have chosen that on my own. I mean, I, I wouldn't have just decided to give astrology up for some reason of my own uh, because I loved it. And I had been an astrologer for years. I was in, actively involved in the Astrological Society. You know, I had to resign from all my positions there. Um, I had actually been scheduled to teach a class starting in January. And so wow. after I gave astrology up, you know, I had to, and I was head of the curriculum committee. So I had to arrange for another teacher to, <laughs> to, to take my place. Uh, I mean, I was in charge of getting the teachers for the classes. And I, I was on a couple of other committees as well. So, you know, I would not have ever chosen that on my own. That was, that was something I loved to do. And it just still amazes me that I actually gave it up and I wasn't even saved. Do you felt like when you became a Christian that it was, for the most part, a pretty hard and fast, clean break and it was just like a cleaning up process? Or do you felt like there was a long, arduous kind of like removal of all that stuff from your life? You know, do you, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think I know what you're asking. It, it, in, a, in some ways, it was a clean break uh, from all the beliefs I had. Those were gone. I, it, the, now, there were a few things that stayed on for a while, um, different things. One, one was I didn't believe in reincarnation anymore, but um, my mind would go there sometimes if I was in uh, meeting somebody and I had never met them before and they seemed familiar to me, the first thought I would have would be, oh, I probably knew them in a previous life. And then I would correct myself, you know, and I would say, no, no, you didn't know them in a previous life because you didn't have a previous life. <laughs> you know, I did not, I definitely did not believe in it. It wasn't like I was still kind of thinking it might be true. I knew it wasn't true. But those habits of thinking some of those habits of thinking, I still had a few um, out of body experiences that I, I did not want to have. And um, that went on for a while. And I would, I would stop in the middle of it and call on Jesus and it would stop. So these weren't things that you were like, Oh, I'm falling back into the world and I'm, I'm messing around with this stuff and I'm having one of these experiences. Like, how did it, how did that it happen? just happened spontaneously spontaneously and what was that and, like uh, what was these body experiences like it's a really dark topic it's a I, I consider the astral travel thing extremely dark and it really bothers me some christians are into it or they try to justify it mm -hmm. and they try to use paul's you know uh, vision or trip we don't know if it was a vision or he actually went to the third heaven i tend to think it was more of a vision but um you know, of course, that had nothing to do with it. I mean, God, God was doing that. Paul wasn't trying to do anything. So mm -hmm. that was God. And that was a special for specific purpose. And plus, Paul was an apostle. Um, so, um, you know, I, I, it just happens. You just, it's a sensation you get in your body and you just feel you're leaving it. And then you're out of your body and you're somewhere else or you're you're kind of traveling through space um do you see sometimes yeah you see, like, you, well, you see your body on the bed if you're on the bed okay so like right you now i'm right now I'm, yeah you see like I'm, si like I'm sitting in my house right now so if it was to happen i would be seeing things like let's say maybe in a different state or a different country is that kind of what you're saying i don't know if i was in a different country i mean sometimes um a few times I was just in the room where I was, but I wasn't in my body. I was somewhere else, but I don't know where it was. That's wild. Uh, one time I was like, I felt like I was 
somewhere on the earth, but I don't know where I was and I could see people below me, but I have no idea where I was. Now, here's the here's what I think about it. I don't think I was actually out of my body. I don't think you can leave your body until you're dead. This is my own opinion. Um, I think it's some kind of demonic delusion. That's what I think. Because I just don't see how God would allow you to leave your body if you're not dead. That mm -hmm. doesn't make any sense to me. Um, especially if you're doing something evil like this. So I think that it was a delusion and I actually didn't go anywhere. I think it's some kind of hallucination, you know, kind of like a hallucination. Um, not, and I want to point out, I, none of these things happened. I wasn't doing any drugs or anything when these happened. So it wasn't from that because it can happen with drugs, doing certain drugs. So I was not on any drugs or any, any medication or anything that would have caused these. Um, and the other thing that uh, a few other things happened, I would have what I called psychic experiences. Um, I was actually going to, um, there was a Bible study, a weekly Bible study at the place where I worked. It was in another building and um, I went over there and they had a, a preacher from somewhere who would come in and lead this Bible study. And I had started going to this. And one day um, he wasn't there and it was after the time we were supposed to start. And finally, someone went up to the front and said, you know, um, Pastor so-and-so um, is late. But I, I can't remember if someone said that or we were just waiting for him. I, if they did, that's all they said. But what happened is people were wondering when he was getting there or if he was coming. And I suddenly had this um, psychic, you know, knowledge that his car had broken down and but he was going to be there late and when he came in he was like 20 minutes late he got up there and he said i'm sorry i was late my car broke down now not nobody there knew that now this is before cell phones so he had been on the road somewhere he you know there wasn't like he had a cell phone and he could call someone <laughs> so there was no way um, for me to know that except psychically. And I wasn't guessing. It was like it came to me that that's what happened. And then I realized what it was. And I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't want that. You know, I don't want to do that kind of thing anymore. I don't want that kind of knowledge. So what I did was after that and having these um, out of body things, I prayed and I asked God to remove any abilities or powers I had gained in the new age. And I asked God to take them away. I said, I don't want them anymore. And I think God wanted me to do that. I think God wanted me to see that these were not from him and to ask him to take them away. That's my own opinion. But Yeah, that's like that ultimate final break of, of him saying like, all right, are you for real coming after me, you know, or are you going to go back into those things? Well, are you saying he was testing me? Maybe in a sense. I don't, I'm not, not that, I you know, know. I, I know we can I get into the whole, like, I didn't want these things. Oh, sure. It wasn't like I was trying to do them and I still liked them. I, I think he wanted me to see they were evil and they weren't from him. That's what I think. Cause I was definitely all for Christ. I mm -hmm. wasn't, I wasn't like thinking, I, I wasn't drawn back to anything in the new age. I was definitely out of it. But these things were still happening as consequences of being in the new age. And I think, I, this is my, I think he wanted me to see that it was evil and it yeah. wasn't from him and to ask him to remove it. Cause that, that humbled me to say, God, these are wrong you know, please take them away. I had to, I had to be willing to ask him to take them away. Well, that, that, that word humble, maybe is a good indicator of kind of what was going on too, like him, um, having you rely on him, you know, for yeah. the, the spiritual warfare yeah, versus right. your, like you said, your pride before where you thought, Oh, look at me yeah. and how, how awesome I've become in this spiritual game. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yes. I had to rely on him. Yeah. That was asking him was, me 
realizing I need, I need him. I need God. I need to ask God because I can't do these things on my own. So I think you're right in that. That's true. That was another maybe reason that, that that happened that way. So, you know, as time went by, of course, you know, I was a very raw new believer and I had left that church, the Episcopal church and gone to another church, which was a little bit better, but maybe not the best church. You know, I didn't know much about what church to go to. And um, so this was a Disciples of Christ church and um, the minister didn't want to baptize me because I had been baptized when I was 11 years old. My mother arranged it. I was not a believer. I did not have a believer's baptism. <laughs> so I wanted to be baptized, but in the like in the Disciples of Christ and Church of Christ and that whole that movement, um, I forgot the name of it. It was a uh, movement that came out of the- um, The Restoration Movement. Restoration Movement. Yeah, they think, they take it literally where it says there's one baptism. They take that to refer to, I guess, water baptism and you can't have another one. And that's kind of what he told me. So I was like, okay. I felt, I felt it was wrong though. I felt like I should be baptized, but I couldn't argue with him and I didn't know how to argue with him. So I, I just accepted it. And later I was eventually baptized when I came up to this, to Washington, DC, I was baptized at a church, but I was in this other church. Now that church was a mixture of, I think what you would call maybe liberal uh, and Orthodox Christianity. It was it was a real mixed bag. This is the Disciples uh, one? Yeah, the Disciples of Christ. It was a real mixed bag. But what the really good thing about that church was is that I made my first two Christian friends there. They had been in Scientology mm. and the New Age. And they were the only people who understood me. <laughs> Nobody else understood me because I would meet people and then you know, they'd find out I'd been an astrologer and they would just kind of look at me like they didn't know what to say. I guess it just sounded so bizarre to them or they didn't know what it meant. And nobody, I felt like I couldn't talk to anybody because I was very, um, you know, this was also new to me and I had a lot of questions and I had a lot to say to people. I wanted to talk to people. And, <laughs> you know, I met um, this couple, married couple, uh, and actually someone in the church, when she when she heard me say I had been an astrologer or something, she said, oh, she said, you should meet so-and-so. They were, they were in Scientology. And I said, oh, yeah, I want to meet them. And it was a Wednesday night thing. And they had like a supper. And then they had these kind of classes going on. And um, I said, oh, are they here now? And she said, well, I think they... I think they each teach a, a, a class or something upstairs. I had somebody actually take me to the classroom where uh, he was teaching and interrupt him because I was so desperate to talk to somebody. <laughs> and I said, I have to, I just, I said, I, I'm just, you know, I'm going to let you go back to your class. I mean, he came to the door. I said, but uh, so-and-so wanted me to meet you. You know, I was in the new age. I was an astrologer and she thought I should meet you. He said, oh yes, he said, definitely. And he got my phone number. And then I ended up getting together with him and his wife and we became very good friends. And they helped me. They really helped me a lot, just answering a lot of my questions. And they totally understood me. I mean, mm -hmm. they totally knew what I had been into. And I heard their story as well, which was amazing. So God put me with some really two strong believers who, and actually, I think at that point, they had been Christians only eight years. So they had not been Christians for a long, long, long time, but they were more mature than I was. And um, it was really good for me. It was, it was great to meet them. It was so encouraging. And then they introduced me to Watchman Fellowship, which is a large, um, I think they call themselves, I don't know what they call themselves now, maybe a discernment ministry, but at the time they were called a counter cult ministry. And I became friends with uh, two people who were, you know, doing a lot with that. And that got me into the uh, whole apologetics um, area of the church. That's what, that was what, that led to that. So, and that's how I met Dr. Geisler was at a conference that, I went to because I had made contact with these people at Watchman Fellowship. So anyway, <laughs> God, God just had things, you know, he had things set up and I was at that church 
I really believe I was at that church to meet that married couple, Tom and Carol. Um, and so if that minister didn't want to baptize you, how did you end up getting baptized? Well, um, I ended up coming up here, um, actually when I had been a Christian for only, I was saved the end of December. I moved up to this area in the August of the following year. So about eight months later, and I started looking for a church um, with my sister, who was also a new believer. And we ended up at a, <laughs> again, this was not the ideal church. And I, I, I ended up leaving this church. It was very, um, they were somehow associated with brethren churches. They didn't have pastors. They, um, and women covered their heads. Uh, so, um, although they didn't not make me and my sister do that, but we noticed all the women covered their heads and we asked them about it. And then of course they pointed to the scripture that they use for that. And I didn't know how to argue against that, although it seemed strange to me, but we did it. Uh, women could not speak, uh, in the, you couldn't speak, um, <laughs> in the service or anything like you there was no speaking and. Uh, they didn't have pastors, so they would have elders who would teach. Uh, they were very nice. I think they really are are believers there. The the you know I think they really were believers, but it was kind of legalistic. And after, but I was baptized by them. They baptized me and my sister. You know, and it was really nice baptism. We actually went down into this kind of little. It was in this. They didn't have their own church. They met in another church, but the church had a. Um, it was kind of like this big basin, you know, pool, kind of a pool that you went down into to be baptized. And it was a very, it was a very nice baptism. And, you know, so I don't regret that I was baptized by them, but I eventually ended up at a, at a uh, Baptist church after I it, that. I think it's, um, I don't know. I don't want to use comical cause I see that I seem, it seems a little bit disrespectful. Um, but I do find some humor in the providence of God because I think about you coming out of the occult and the first church is like you said, a little bit of a liberal Episcopal church. Okay, whatever. And we're not trying to attack anybody who goes to these different right, denominations. Right. But I know, right. like from my own studies, um, you know, within the restoration movement, you have, they had a split where you had like churches of Christ, Christian churches, and then disciples. And disciples were the ones who were kind of a little bit more uh, liberal and kind of went off what I would say a little mm -hmm. bit off on the deep end as far as mm -hmm. Orthodox stuff goes. So you find yourself in that sort of church, you know, mm -hmm. and then, and then you move up to Virginia and I've never even heard of the brethren church. Oh, you haven't, you haven't no. heard of the church brethren. Oh yeah. So, so then you find yourself in those sort of churches and then at the end of the day, you end up at a Baptist church. So, so, you know, you kind of like, you kind of made yourself along a little bit. And I had you, a real journey. I really yeah. did. Yeah. Um, I had the original so brethren churches, I think, do not do not have pastors. They don't believe in pastors. And so they have different elders who teach. Um, and now they said they were not brethren, but I think they were a break off from it. They yeah. wouldn't really say what they were, but I think they were. For, and what I've read about church, brethren churches, and I haven't read a lot, but what I've read really fits them. Um, and what they did, um, they were very, very pre-trib rapture, which I still am. I am pre-trib rapture. Um, and they were very strong on that. And they were very kind to us. I mean, they were, they were trying to mentor us and guide us. They knew we were new believers. Uh, they were always available to answer questions, you know, so, um, you know, they did, there was definitely some very good things about being there, but I began to feel stifled. And one day I was, I was at my job down in DC and I was looking out the window and there was, uh, I could see a tree and there was a breeze moving through the tree branches and that the, the Holy Spirit brought to mind the verse in John three, where Jesus says, look at the wind and the trees. The wind doesn't know where it's going or where it's come from, or you don't know where the wind's going or where it's come from. So are those with the, with the, with the spirit. So are those moved by the spirit. And that came to my mind and I thought that's what's missing there is there's not a free reign for the Holy Spirit. Uh, although I don't think I use that term, the free reign of the Holy Spirit. I just felt like there, I, I, it's not that I didn't, I 
didn't think the Holy Spirit was there at the church because I think they were believers. But I think that maybe because of sort of this legalism, it was kind of stifling the spirit. And so when my, I called my sister and told her, I, I'm not going back to that church anymore, but if you want to go back, you should go back. I don't want to influence you because I didn't want to influence her. And she said, no, actually, I'm really glad you called and told me that because I've been feeling very uncomfortable. And she said, I didn't want to tell you because I didn't want to influence you. <laughs> so, so she had been in the New Age, too, not as deeply as I had been. And she was saved about maybe shortly before me. But she was still like, she didn't have anybody to talk to either. You know, we were both just like, we were just like these new new babes in Christ who didn't know anything. Yeah, just trying <laughs> so to find anyway, she, she, so she, so then we ended up together looking for a church and we ended up at that Baptist church, which was not associated with the Southern Baptist Convention or any larger Baptist organization. It had been at one time and had been associated with this group I had never heard of, like the General Baptist something or other, I think, which I don't even know if it exists anymore. And uh, when that larger group started getting more liberal, um, the church uh, broke away from them and uh, wanted, you know, wanted to stick to the, the sound doctrine. And so my church is actually in independent. But I can't say independent Baptist because a lot of independent, ba there is an independent Baptist denomination, which is mostly King James only. So I'm not, I can't say it's independent because then people are going to think I'm part of the independent Baptist churches and I'm not. So my church just is not affiliated with any larger organization. They're, they're a non-dependent Baptist church. Non-dependent. Yeah, it's a non-dependent Baptist church, but it's very, very sound. The doctrine's very sound. It's, um, you know, I'm grateful that, that I ended up there and I've been a member there since the end of 1992. But I was a new believer when I went there. Well, I'm just, you know, listening to, you know, this aspect that we kind of left off on part one, right? You, mm -hmm. your journey to faith and then, the, mm -hmm. and then the early part of your journey to faith. I'm just, again, reminded of the providence of God, the sovereignty of God, how awesome he is on how he's working all behind the scenes and doing so much, you know, things that we don't even know about, you know, so I'm right. encouraged. Um, and I hope everybody out there who, you know, tuned into this episode also is constantly reminded of that is that God is working not only in, you know, your life, but also in other people's lives and the power of prayer. Don't forget it. And now this means that I'm going to have to bring you back, uh, you know, probably in another few months, part three on what okay. you're doing now in your ministry and how you've used your past experiences, right? Because that's a huge uh, thing to think about. Use your past experiences and how God's used that to form this whole ministry that you're doing, you know, of essentially teaching the church and helping educate the church on staying away from what they don't even know are cult-like tendencies and practices. Right, right, right. Yeah, I would love to do that. Oh, I would love to come back and talk about that or anything to do with my work and what what the ministry is about. And well, yes. that's one that's honestly one of the main concepts of my podcast is, you know, when I first started this a couple of years ago, I said, hey, I want to bring light not to me. I want to bring light to what God's doing in other people's ministries. Right. Like I want him to be glorified through that. So right. Right. yes, I'd love to bring you back on. Let's do that okay. in the next couple of months okay. and bring light to your ministry for people who don't know about it. Um but thank okay, you so much. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining me again, Marsha. Thank you, Billy. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed um, being able to express all this because it, it really shows the Lord, you know, it, it shows his wonderful um, attributes of mercy and compassion and patience and every forbearance <laughs> uh, and how he can reach anybody. So Amen. thanks. Amen. All right. Goodbye, everybody.